the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your servant, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here immediately and take your place at table? Would he not rather say to him, prepare something for me to eat, put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink? You may eat and drink when I am finished. Is he grateful to that servant because he did what was commanded? So should it be with you. When you have done all that you have been commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what we were obliged to do. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. We have a bit of a tricky gospel today, I would say. What do we have going on? We have the apostles who start with what I say is a very earnest prayer. Lord, increase our faith. Which is reasonable. They want to be good good disciples. I think this is something we can recognize for ourselves, for our own prayer life. Lord, increase our faith. Why else would we be here if that was not the case? Then we have a weird saying with something about uprooting mulberry trees and planting it in the sea. That's kind of odd. And then Jesus talks about a servant and and being unprofitable. Seems a little bit harsh. And that's it. That's the end of the passage. If you want to see what happens next, come next week when Jesus heals ten lepers. That's where we go after this. So, if the apostles ask for an increase of faith, why doesn't our Lord deliver? It seems like a very reasonable request, again, and something that he wants for all of us anyway. Wouldn't Jesus have just been able to wave his hand and poof, you have faith? So why doesn't Jesus answer his apostles? I think maybe Jesus is answering his apostles. Because whenever we have a situation where Jesus follows up something and it doesn't seem to make sense, I think we're usually thrown off by Jesus' ability to get to the heart of the matter with no distractions and immediately. Maybe in this case, faith, which is a gift that comes from God, is not something that can be planted or something that can just take root in us if it doesn't have fertile ground to be planted in. Maybe there's a lot of hard interior work that has to be done for faith to take root in us. And maybe that's actually a good thing. Maybe it takes humility and docility to the will of God for faith to take root. 
Maybe the life of discipleship requires us to give of ourselves to it without the expectation of seeing instantaneous results. And maybe this process is very difficult. I suspect that Jesus knows this and he's kind of calling out his apostles in this regard and kind of saying, okay guys, let's be honest. If you had a servant, are you going to tell that servant who comes in to just sit down at table and wait on him? Or is it more accurate to think that if he comes in from the field, you're going to say, maybe just go put on your apron and, and take care of me and I'll eat and drink and then, you know, you can, you can eat and drink when I'm finished. I think the apostles want an easy way out. And frankly, I think we want an easy way out too. But I don't think that's anything to be ashamed about. It's part of the human condition. I want the easy way out. I don't like to struggle. I don't like to suffer. I want my relationship with God to be perfect, and I really don't want to have to do anything for that to be the case. But God knows that it is not this way, and we're not doing ourselves any favors by failing to acknowledge that or by pretending it's a different way. And I would say, thank God that Jesus doesn't seem content to let it be this way, even if we would be content. I think Jesus, out of love, has something better for us in mind. And I think he's trying to open our hearts and our minds in order for us to receive it, just like he was trying to do with his disciples. But for this to make any sense at all, I think we have to have the proper understanding of what our calling is and what our relationship with God needs to be like, especially when we are in heaven. If our vision of heaven is kind of like the heavenly lollipop for good behavior after a trip to the doctor's office, or like admission into a carnival, then I don't think this approach is going to make a lot of sense. Because our calling is to be co-heirs with Christ in relationship with the Father. Co-heirs. This is not something that's transactional, where we do a good job in life, good behavior, and then we get a reward from it. This is something that is transformational with our nature. I think a better vision of heaven is that of a banquet, which is an image that Christ himself uses. Because at a banquet, it's not just general admission. There's an invitation. There's a seat there with your name on it. It's reserved for you, and no one else is going to sit there because it has been set aside for you. And being seated at the table with Jesus is a very powerful image, and it's something that he's not a stranger to. There's a ton of examples in Scripture where Jesus is eating at a table with sinners of all sorts and tax collectors. And this is something that gets a lot of people in Jesus' time very, very bent out of shape. And it's something that I think, in a way, still kind of scandalizes us today. Why do we say this? What, what's going on here? Part of our calling 
and I think this is what is hard for us to accept, is Jesus' desire for us to share in his exaltation, for us to be exalted with him, which is why he took on our nature so that we could partake in his. And this model is not a new model. It's not a new idea. St. Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Philippians. He writes kind of of a hymn, which he includes in his text, which I want to read briefly. This is in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think one of our problems is we don't often think of ourselves as having this esteemed calling in our lives. And it's not really just a calling, it's something that we were actually made for. It's, it's, not, it, it's a purpose. It's not just God's plan, it's God's purpose for us, which he has created us for. But the irony is, and this is where I think we get tripped up, to live this calling, it requires the humility to regarding ourselves in this humble service as this unprofitable servant. But this is the exact disposition which Jesus himself takes. And it is through this disposition which we will habituate ourselves to recognizing God's saving action in the world. And through him, we will know him and begin to acquire this deepened faith. It's a faith that doesn't come very cheap. It's a faith that, you know, the, it, that can't be fake, that has to be authentic. But it's this faith which will increase in us the virtue of hope. Because once we have faith and know God, we will know what to hope for. And once we know what to hope for, we will be acclimatized, habituated into practicing love, charity, love for our neighbors, for our families. Through this increase in love, we ourselves will grow to become more like Jesus Christ. And we will enjoy a very deep friendship with him, who is love itself.